Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com.
All right. Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is February 24th, and what a great show we got tonight to close out the month of February. Chris Caffrey from TSO and his new band Spirits of Fire, as well as Tony Harnell from TNT and his new project, Starbreaker. I guess members of bands don't want to be in bands anymore. They all want to have projects these days, stuff they could just go in, bang out, and maybe do a show or two here or there. But it seems like a lot more studio work than live performances these days by a lot of these artists. Right there, Pretty Maids with Future World. Love that record. As to, to me, it was the last good Pretty Maids album. I know other people differ in opinion, but that Red Hot and Heavy and that great classic EP from back in the day. After that, the band kind of went in a more commercial direction. I think they wanted to kind of uh, be the new Def Leppard. So when Jump the Gun came out, or Lethal Heroes, depends on where you live. It had two different titles, that album, in different parts of the country, in the world, I mean. Uh, it was definitely a change for the band. And today... I mean, you know, I still like Pretty Mage, but I just haven't been able to get into anything they've done over the last 10 or 15 years. But the old school stuff is actually the best. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing here. We're going to talk to Chris in about 10 minutes or so. I'm sorry about the opening. I don't know what happened over there. Everything went dead, and I thought it was just my microphone before I realized it was actually the song's flame. Hopefully, I'm even coming through. I don't even know. All right, so let's go from future world to future tense. Here's Evil Attack.
of Hades. Tank is not Tank without Algie Ward. I'm sorry to say that. And right before that, Grim Reaper, When Heaven Comes Down. That comes off the Rocky to Hell record from back in 87. That album was released by RCA Records, but for some reason, it didn't get any attention at all. Oh, the mic's not working. Okay, so we kind of bombed that again. All right, let's just jump into uh, TNT.
Morning Tea with Seven Seas. I hope the microphone is working now. It's been going on and off since the beginning of the show. Not the problems here tonight, but that's nothing new. It's the same thing every single week. So who the hell knows? But we're going to get to Tony Harnell from Starbreaker right now. Hopefully you can hear me uh, when we patch it through. Hopefully it will work. All right, hang on a second. Tony, this is Mike. How are you today? Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing all right. And hey, that's good to hear. Good to talk hey, to well, you. listen, I, I, I'm glad that you got back around to another Starbreaker record. I mean, I feel like you guys caught on to something with this 15 years ago, and I wish more would have come out of it, but I know you've been busy with other bands over the years, you and Magnus, but I'm happy that every now and then you do come back to it because this new one I think is the best one yet. Ah, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, you never know how these are going to come out. You go in and you do your best. And, um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with the, with the album myself and I'm really happy with the response so far. It is great. It's good to hear you singing. And the thing I like about this record is that it's a pure rock record in any way you look at it, but yet you've touched on so many different areas of rock in there, and it's it's cohesive and it all goes together, and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, you know, I I, lo- I love that, and I strive for that with this, uh, you know, all my music. Uh, you know, I'd love to make something that's even more diverse, but somehow it gets pulled together. I think when you have, um, you know, I'm lucky in that people recognize my voice uh, if they, if they know who I am and either they like it or they don't, that's okay. At least they recognize it. And that's a good thing. Uh, And Magnus has a recognizable guitar sound and and style. So I think that uh, that's, that's probably the thread, you know, that allows us to to kind of drift over into, you know, everything from, from the real heavy track that opens the album to the really soft ballad, beautiful one. So and everything in between. And I think that's the thing that ties it in is the vocal and the guitar. I, I agree. I mean, do you think fans or people that, you know, like your music is just rock or heavy metal in general are more open today to different sounds and styles being mixed together? You go back to the eighties when, you know, this was King and, you know, we never thought it was going to end and it did, you know, I think it was more for like yeah. what was happening at the scene at the time than what was coming. And people were so like tuned into Twitter and nothing else. Now it seems like everybody, I don't know if it's maturity, age, well, just because I have to, you guys are still doing it. Well, I think I think like anything, I think um, you know, if you just keep going, if you really love what you do and you just keep making music, um, you know, I, there's something to be said for perseverance and just for you know for for doing it because you love to do it and and you have to do. It. A lot of people kind of say, oh, "I'm not going to put out any records because nobody cares." Well, you know, then don't put out records. You know, um, if, if you can, a lot of these bands can tour over and over again every year on the strength of what they did um, many years ago. Um, that's okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but I like to, I like to put out new music and uh, write songs and record. So, so for me, it's, um, you know, it, it's a, you know, I'm honored and I feel lucky and grateful that, um, that I have a platform to do that and people that are interested in, you know, in, in new music from me. So I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, yeah, you're the singer in a band, but you're an artist. And when you stop creating art, I mean, doesn't it kind of like the death of you in a way? I mean, you know, if you're just going yeah. out and doing the same album, it's like being in a factory, <laughs> just stamping that same piece of metal day in and day out for 20 yeah. or 30 years. 
Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, uh, as, as great as it is to, to be able to keep touring every year, which, you know, um, I'd love to be able to do that. It's, it's obviously the best way to, to make a living making music nowadays is to play live. You can't do, you know, the Beatles had a luxury situation back in the sixties where they could say, Oh, we don't want to tour anymore. We're just going to make records. And, you know, records were selling and, um, they could do that because they were the Beatles, (laughs) but you can't really, uh, unfortunately the way things are right now is you, you have to tour and the record is really just there to sell the tour. Uh, used to be the other way around the record. So, uh, the, well, what I'm saying is the, uh, the tour sells the record, I guess. Well, yeah, that's what it used to be. The tour would sell the record, but now it's the record that sells the tour. But even saying that, nobody wants to hear the new music unless you're a pop star. So you put out a new record, it's great. Everybody wants to go see the show. Uh, they might even love the new record, but when they actually go see you, you know, they really don't want to hear more than a song, a song or two at most from what you've done most recently. And they're, they're perfectly content hearing the same set year after year. You know, but that would drive me crazy if I if I just had to go play the same songs all the time. I think I would uh, end up uh, <laughs> kind of miserable. <laughs> I I get that. I mean, you got a great catalog to choose from over the last three plus decades in the business. And like when you talk about what you were just talking about, I mean, wh- whose fault is it that things turned out the way they did? I mean, is it the band's fault mm-hmm. for getting repetitive over the years? Is it the, like <clears throat> the record label's fault for signing the same bands over? Is it the fans who just don't give a shit anymore, dedicate themselves to spending $10 on an album? Our genre of music, when I say our genre, I'm specifically referring to the 80s. Uh, What happened with hard rock in the 80s was a very kind of specific thing. In the 70s, the music led into what became 80s hard rock. Uh, I don't like to use the term hair metal because it's too confining and it doesn't really describe everybody because if you take all the acts from the 70s that have 80s success that includes a lot of classic bands like scorpions white snake foreigner journey and on and on and on you know a lot of a lot of bands that had success aerosmith in the in the 70s transformed and became 80s icons so uh but, but my point here is that the other bands, so those bands were already kind of established and they just took advantage of what was happening in the 80s and they were able to capitalize on it and have huge multi-platinum success. But I think that the cookie cutter problem that we came across in the 80s was, was perpetuated by the, you know, by, by the whole machine. You had MTV, you had the labels wanting to sign uh, a as soon as you know one band blew up and got huge, they wanted a bunch of bands like that. And in the seventies, hard rock wasn't like that. You know, it was much more diverse. You had a lot of big bands, but they were all really different from each other. So you could go see a stadium show with Aerosmith, Journey, uh, you know, you know, maybe maybe Kiss, maybe uh, you know, um, Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and queen and i mean they were all just so different from each other but everybody would go and see all those bands in one you know in one setting and and everyone had all those albums at home and it was great to you know to put them on and say well i'm in the mood for queen or i'm in the mood for zeppelin or aerosmith 
and it was so or deep purple and it was so different they were all very different and you know i think what happened in the 80s was honestly for me yeah for those of us who knew the music we could put on five different records from five of the melodic hard rock bands of the eighties and we could tell the difference. But if you stepped outside of that a little bit, it was pretty, you know, it's kind of hard to tell the bands apart from how they looked. And it was kind of hard to tell them apart from how they sounded because the productions were very similar. The songs were written by a lot of the same songwriters sometimes. And uh, it just got a little bit too samey. I think everything started sounding very much the same and looking the same. And I think that's what really killed, uh, you know, killed that thing. But I mean, look, the business as a whole has kind of changed and died dramatically. And let's face it, rock is not really selling at the moment. We're lucky in that, you know, this, um, I'm happy that the Starbreaker record is on the charts this week yeah. uh, and, a, and a lot of, and a lot of good uh, chart positions uh, with billboard, which is really awesome and, and exciting and, and fun for me. Cause I haven't been on the charts in a, in a while. I haven't released music in a while. So new music, I should say. So, uh, and I've released a lot of music in my career, which I'm also really grateful for and a lot of songs, but I think, I think, yeah, I think that the, and I also think rock fans are very, um, you know, they, they like what they like. And if they, lock, if they latch on to a certain so, uh, sound or style, um, that's what they want. And they want it over and over and over again. And they don't really care. Some, some people don't care if a lot of the bands sound similar. They just like a style, and they want to hear that same style all the time. Well, one thing you've done is not really done that. I mean, TNT were part of that big machine in the 80s. Fortunately, you guys were like forefathers of it, not the followers. But everything you've done outside of that, I mean, going through the 90s till now, I mean, whether it was the Morning Wood record, the Mercury Train, I mean, the Wildflowers, you know, Westworld, you've done everything complete opposite of that. You've done what you've wanted to do. At least that's the way I feel. And to me, it works because, you know, I love your vocals. And no matter what you're singing, I'm going to like it. Well, you know, I mean, I made a lot of – probably by doing that, it was probably a huge career mistake over and over again for me because when TNT took its first break in 92, I went and did the Morning Wood album, which was all acoustic, as you said. uh, It was all all acoustic, uh, some uh, half originals and and over half covers, uh, classic 70s covers mostly. Uh, Yeah, you know, it was a big – it was something I wanted to do – to, to show people that I wasn't just a, an eighties rock, you know, singer. And, and, and also for myself, I wanted to do something very different. So probably not the smartest thing to do from a career standpoint. Um, but, but, you know, as an artist, I feel the need to express myself in different ways. You've absolutely done that, and I'm happy that you've done that because you've made my musical journey with you, you know, that much more interesting. Uh, because you never know what you're going to get, and that's something you. that I enjoy. I mean, look, I'm a rock guy, but I love everything that you do, and, and you've given some Thank great you. stuff. And and when I think about it, like you know, over the last couple of years, people say, you know, Tony Hanel, he must be a difficult guy to work with, in and out of teeny, <laughs> the stuff with Skid Row. But is it just the fact yeah. that you know? Being in a band, people think sometimes it's all personalities that clash, and sometimes it is. But sometimes you, you maybe step into a situation and you thought this is something different. It really wasn't. And am I going to just continue doing this even though I'm not feeling it? I just got to get out. You know, look, people only see the 
they only see the part where you're back in and you're out again. They don't really see anything else about it. And so, I mean, I know, I know couples that are very, let's say very in love with each other. And, you know, they, they might be in and out of their, their relationship, you know, might be like that, but, you know, maybe because they're, they're not famous and, and, whatever the situation, or maybe they're just really private. Maybe people don't know that's going on. And maybe it's a matter of, you know, just like in that situation, maybe it's more like, man, I really love these songs. I really love the fact that I spent 35 years making all those albums. And, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, look with TNT, it's, it's my baby as much as it is Ronnie's. And, uh, and I think, you know, when you've written, the amount of songs that we wrote together, you know, for, for what, eight, uh, I think we did eight, eight or nine studio albums together and a host of live albums and best of albums with extra tracks and so forth. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of songs. And I feel like with the fan base that we have, yeah, we're not a huge band, but we have a really dedicated fan base. And if, the business was run properly, which is usually that's my issue is there's some crappy manager or somebody running things that's making all the hard work we do just kind of not, not really pay off for the fans and not pay off for us, man. I mean, let's face it. This is what, this is what we do. We're artists for a living. And, uh, oftentimes I just find myself in a situation where it just feels really toxic and I can't do anything about it. I'm an American in a European situation. And, uh, you know, when you fly back and forth, you know, to try to play shows over the course of a year and you're basically flying all the time, you start, you just start to get really worn out. And, um, if things aren't going the way they should be going business wise, uh, if the management isn't doing what they should be doing, if all your ca- if people are complaining that they can't find all of your albums on Spotify or iTunes or whatever the case may be, uh, and, and you're frustrated that you want to put out records, reissue records on vinyl and all these other things, and your management can't just do the legwork to go get all that together, it's not that hard. We have access to almost everything and we have relationships that can be nurtured with, with every source to get all this done. So the fans have this stuff available to them and the band can enjoy the fact that these, you know, all this music is available to people. So there's that, there's the, the, the fact that, you know, we couldn't get uh, a decent touring schedule together for Europe, the U S finally to get back here. Uh, we had a false start in uh, 2017, getting the band to the Monsters of Rock cruise. Ronnie had a problem with his visa. You know, it's always just one thing or another. And people just see it on the outside and they go, the Skid Row thing didn't help me because on, you know, on top of the TNT thing, there was that. And I, I will say that the Skid Row thing was totally different than the TNT thing. I've talked about it to death. I don't really want to want to yeah. continue dragging it through the mud there was just a lot of press about it recently over the last couple of days and i'll just reiterate that uh the skid row thing on my part was a mistake it was stupid and uh the way that i did handled that was was uh just a really dumb mistake and something i would never do again and uh, i've apologized to uh 
you know, the fans and the band and um, anybody that cares. And otherwise I'm ready to just put it behind me and move on with my life um, and celebrate uh, the future and what's happening for me now. So, yeah, absolutely. You can't live in the past. That's one thing you can never do in this world. Life's too short for that. Well, you know, yeah, and, and you don't want to, but with when you when you have any level of notoriety, even even the 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 you know the the little bit that I have, um, whether it's some some press person or just you know people in general that that just want to keep dra- dragging that stuff out there, you know, it, it's. And it's hard for people to imagine when they're not in my position that they wouldn't want their past mistakes constantly mm-hmm. brought up. And, you know, they want to get past their own mistakes as much as I do, you know. So I I, I feel like putting out new music and continuing to be positive and just uh, if it comes up, I say, yeah, that was dumb uh, and move on. Yeah. Just keep putting out new music that hopefully, hopefully the, between the new music and time – It'll go, you know. It'll it'll get behind me. So, well, you know, you know what it is. Let's be honest. People are just shit stirrers. They're all looking to get that little caption on blabbermouth or on another website. Yeah. So that's why they do it. They're hoping that you're going to slip up and say something stupid, and they're going to just blast that one little line about a whole great interview or an article about that. That's all it comes down to. With all the great music you have, and, and with this new Starbreaker record right now. And none of that should even matter. I mean, to me, it's like, yeah. I, I mean, like, is being in a band today really that important? Or are you better off at this point in your career just, you know, being you and going solo and doing stuff from throughout your career? I mean, you know, TNT, Westworld, Starbreaker, you know, yeah. even the Brazen Abbott stuff. I mean, you know, anything. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. You know, you know everything. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really, uh, really impressed. Um, you know, I think, I think that it's a great point you make. Um, if I could, I would, and I would, and I will, I will go out as a solo artist um, and try to build that more and more with all the material that I have uh, for sure. No doubt about it. I'm working on that now as we speak, actually, just a, you know, a, a, a tour that's my tour that includes everything, all the music I've, I've done over the years. But the fact, the fact is <laughs> that, if you sell a TNT show under the name TNT with the logo and Ronnie and I on stage, that's just a more lucrative brand. Yeah. It, the brand has been around for a long time. The people know the band. Uh, a lot of people, you know, for people who love TNT, it's their favorite band, their fans, and they want to see both of us on stage. And that, that makes sense. I, I want to see Ronnie and I together on stage. You know, Ronnie's my brother. Um, and as for as much as uh, we, you know, have our little uh, battles, um, you know, like I said, most of the time when it when it collapses with TNT, it's not a personal issue between he and I. It's business. And that's something we always are. We've actually been pretty good at separating those two things over the years. At least I have. Uh, and I think that if he steps back and he's honest, he knows it's all business as well and not personal. Um and that's why we continue to talk to this day and we're still in, in communication with each other on a regular basis. We just spoke last week. So, uh, so that's the thing. So, you know, I, I want to go out and do my own thing, no doubt about it. And I do, and I have, but, uh, you know, the name TNT is always going to, until, until it doesn't, <laughs> you know, until the day that it doesn't, it's always going to, um, to be a bigger draw. 
Yeah, I know. I understand that. With Starbreaker, I mean, I know you guys are all busy with a lot of other things. Is there the possibility of maybe getting out on the road with this lineup or even another line with just you and Magnus in there with other members? Maybe festivals, one-off shows here and there. Is there something that could be possibly be done? I would love to. Um, Magnus doesn't really tour because he, he – he'll you know, I could probably get him to do, like, the odd show here and there. But um, he's hard to tour with. Um because he he's not hard to tour with, sorry. He's hard to get on tour because he likes to be home with his family. So, uh, and he produces a lot of music from his home studio. So he's just more of a, uh, of a, a studio guy. And, and he, he does, like I said, he does the odd show here and there, but he's not somebody that um, I can go out and do a, a full world tour or, or even anything uh, probably more than a couple of weeks. Um, so having said that, uh, we are going to plan to do hopefully some festivals here and there, but I think that the best thing for me is to, um, I mean, look, the Starbreaker record, it, it, for, for, for all intents and purposes, the Starbreaker record is my new record. It's, it's Magnus's new record too, but it's, it's the newest effort by me. It's my songwriting and my singing and, um, uh, so I'm promoting it uh, as my new album, and it'll be part of any future, you know, shows that I do. I'll absolutely do songs from this record. So uh, I hope so. It's such a great record. Like I said, Pure Evil just kicks off in a great way. I mean, beautiful one, a fire way. I love those songs. And my heart belongs to you. I'm going to go get busy with my wife with that this weekend. So uh, you made her happy. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Hey, listen, Tony, I'm not going to keep you, man. I know you're doing a whole bunch of these things back to back today, so I'll let you go get a little breather. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the best of luck, man. I can't wait to see you in New York City doing anything you do. I'll be there to see you. Thank you so much, and I appreciate all your support. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see you back up there in uh, in, in my, my, my hometown, really. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Take care. Thank Have you a so great much, day. Mike. Take care. Okay, Good talking to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
again, brand new Starbreaker, Pure Evil. It's a great record. You know, him and Magnus work well together, and Tony's voice still sounds as great as it did back in the heyday of TNT. All right, we still got Chris Caffrey to get to. We're running a little behind schedule because the first 10 minutes of the show, we had dead air, and then a lot of dead air in between the songs. I apologize. I don't know what's going on the last two weeks. There seems to be a lot of technical issues that are out of my control, and it seems to be the fault of Block Talk Radio. You know, I do a mic check before every show to make sure that I'm working, everything on my end is good, and just something happens with the technicality part of it in between. All right, we're going to get to more music in a little bit. You know, the, the generation of heavy metal continues. Uh, you know, it, it was bad enough about, you know, with the festivals reuniting these bands with just one member, like a drummer or a bass player, and we talk about this a lot. But now you have bands that weren't really that big or popular to begin with, or, you know, and they're kind of like combining members and naming the band after both bands. So now you have Rough Riot, which is like all the kind of washed-up members of Rough Cut and Quiet Riot, and they formed the band where they're doing Quiet Riot and Rough Cut stuff. I mean, it's at, I mean, Paul Shortino's in the band, and I love Paul. He's such a great guy. You know, but I mean, do we really need a band called Rough Riot doing Rough Cut and Quiet Riot songs together and maybe recording new material like that? I don't know. You got Return of the Comet, which is a bunch of ex-members of Freelist Comets from throughout the 80s. Uh, John Regan, the bass player, was kind of there since the beginning. But Todd came in, I think, maybe into the second record. Uh, Richard Scholar came in for a year or two later on. And they're out there performing as Return of the Comet. Now, it's, it was, it was Freelist Comet because it was Ace Freely's band. He's not in the band. He's out there doing his solo stuff which is the Freely Common stuff. But now you got the other three members or three different members from different eras of the band going out there doing the same songs without Ace Freely. I don't get it. You know, as much as I don't care for Eddie Trunk, somebody posted a, a clip of uh, like people calling to a show and asking questions, and they had asked him what he thought about, you know, Return of the Comet going out there. And as much as I dislike the way he is and it's all about him and me, 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 you know, he had a great answer and it was and it was very well said. I wish I would have wrote some of it down, but I don't want to repeat what he said. But basically said there's like, you know, there's no market for that. It's you know, there's a market for freeling what he's doing, but he's playing very small places. You know, so where is this band gonna get booked? I know they have a couple of shows coming up. Uh, but, I mean, really, who's going out to see them? Like, on a Wednesday night, who's going out to see ex-members of Ace Frehley's band doing Frehley's songs when maybe that Friday night, Ace Frehley's playing doing the same songs, and it's Ace. You know what I mean? I, I just don't get it. I mean, you know, it took decades for us to come back around again and to get metal to a little bit of prominence again where it's, you know, respectable and people listen to it. And you've got these festival promoters who just keep, you know, putting any band they can out there with just one member that nobody cares about. I hate to say that because, you know, I don't really mean it that way, but nobody wants to go see, you know, you know, Agent Steel, you know, with the drummer playing. They want to see Agent Steel with John Cyrus. You know, that's just the way it is. So, uh, you know, it's just crazy the way things are going today. Then you have that M3 festival here in America. I think it's in, uh, I want to say it's in Baltimore, somewhere in Maryland, maybe. Every year they have the same exact bands on the bill. Kicks is on the bill every year. Fast the Pussycat is on the bill every year. L.A. Guns, one of the three versions over the years have always been on the bill. Uh, it's just the same bands over. Who wants to go see the same hand metal bands year after year after year on the same bill? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just, you know, I don't get it. I'm just going to stop before I, I, I get too far off the deep end with it. Let's get back into the music right now. Uh, let me see what we can do for you. Adam from EXE wanted to hear some Laz Rocket. So let's get on some Laz Rocket. We'll follow it up with maybe, uh, I don't know. We'll see what we're going with after that one. Here you go, Laz Rocket. Take no prisoners. Mm-hmm. 
Excita was pure evil. May I tell you, one thing about Excita, I mean, there's nothing like the classic Excita, and it's a shame that John parted ways with the band again. You think after like all they've gone through over the years, but either him or Dan being out of the band, I don't think anybody really cared about Alan Johnson whether he was there or not. <laughs> but, you know, if Dan Baylor and John Reed were in the band, you know, it was Excita for most people. And, uh, you know, those first great early records the band put out, Dan left, John left, John took over the band, Dan came back, they all reunited. It was like, you know, it was like a, a mixed bag of nuts with those guys. But they finally put it back together about four or five years ago, the three of them. I saw them live. They looked and sounded incredible. I wish they would have kept it going, but something popped up again. John parted ways with the group. They've got some young kid in there now playing guitar. Uh, and I have to be honest with you, to me, John was, I mean, you know, Dan's voice and drumming was, was excited. You know, when you heard his voice, you knew you were getting excited. Uh, but, you know, those great songs are written by John. Most of them are written by John. Now, he was the guy who contributed the music to the band. And I don't know if the new stuff they're going to put out is going to even sound decently like Exciter, in my opinion. I mean, they've had a lot of singers over the years. This comes off of the Thresh, Speed, and Burn record from 2008 with Kenny Metalmouth and Winters on vocals. I think Kenny was on, I want to say he was on New Testament. They re-recorded the songs uh, Thresh, Speed, and Burn, and Death Machine. But before that was Jacques Ballinger, who was on The Dark Command, Blood of Tyrants. You know, and before that, I want to say it was a self-titled Exciter record that they had another singer. But Dan was actually still in the band at that time. That was in 88, I want to say, if I remember. I think it was Rob Maletti. I'm not sure of the guys. I think it was Rob something. He came in and sang with the band. It was just Alan and uh, Dan from the original lineup. I think Brian McPhee was playing guitar with them at that time. To me, that was a horrible record. The only Exciter record I really couldn't get into was all i mean i don't know why they i mean i don't know what the thought process was behind that of bringing in a, a singer to take over for dan when he was still in the band and kind of defined that sound for a long time I, I don't get it but the point i'm getting to and it's been a long time getting is that i love all of these excited records even with different singers in the band even though i never really considered you know the kenny went the fronted version of excited excited or the jacques fronted version of excited excited the same way i didn't really consider a lot of those black sabbath records if the deal was you know was out of the band to be black sabbath records i think if each record had a different title or a different band name they were great records for what they are it just didn't represent you know what the main guy in that group was in their band you know, so there's some really good, excited stuff out there, you know, even without, you know, Dan in the group and on vocals. I mean, I hope I'm wrong and that the next and new Excited record is going to be a great one. But I think it's going to be a big loss on having John in there with his distinctive guitar sound and his playing and his songwriting. All right. We're going to get to Chris in about 10 minutes. So let's jump into a song off of his solo record from last year. He had a busy year in 2018 and it's looking the same in 2019. So we'll do that. We'll talk to him play some stuff off of the brand new spiritual fire record and then we'll close out with a couple of tunes after that so let me see what i could kind of pull up over here from his last record i got a whole bunch of stuff going on here today and i'm all confused about where it is we had so many problems earlier in the show that i just kind of lost track of uh, where things were all right you know what i don't even know where the hell i put it so maybe we'll save that for after the interview maybe we'll do some spiritual fire first here's temple of the soul
Hey, Chris, this is Mike. How are you today? Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm watching the uh, latest snow hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. I'm in New York myself, so uh, we're not that bad here in the city, but I know you get it worse up there. Yeah, a little. I mean, it seems like this year there's, you guys have just been getting a lot of the rain and, and icy stuff, and we've been getting it worse. But I don't mind it because the year gets so busy that when it snows, it just slows the world down. I don't mind it. That's very true. And, uh, you know, when you talk about busy, I don't know who's been busier than you the last year. Between, you know, the Justice Court, another great TSO tour, and now the Spirits of Fire record. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, no, I'd be that I'm able to keep working. I mean, you know, of course, in the, in the past years, I mean, there was there was always a lot of different things going on, except that back then it was, you know, we had Sabotage and TSO, so it's just a, you know, a different kind of thing now. But it's, you know, it's all music, and I'm just, like I said, I'm lucky to, to still be playing. Yeah, thank God for that. I mean, you, know, you talk about the new record, the Spiritual Fire record. I mean, Frontiers is, is famous for throwing people together and seeing what comes out of it. You know, they'll call them super groups if they've got a couple of really well-known people like they do now in this group. And sometimes it's a hit or miss type of thing. I mean, was this something you thought about when you got involved with this? Well, I mean, I always say it to people when they've been asking me about it. I've seen these type of bands getting together, and I've had people ask me to be a part of them. And it wasn't really something I was very interested in doing, or A, from the fact that I am so busy. And, and you know, it just it, it did – I have seen a lot of them get put together that, you know, some of them were like that typical kind of thing where it just – it seemed like people threw people together and it didn't have that special kind of chemistry. It's something like a real band would have. I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes these things are, are magical. And the thing that, you know, I think is funny because if somebody came up with the name Supergroup, and there's always people out there that will try to sit there and say, well, these people in this band don't create the version of the word super. It's like, whatever, it's just a nickname for what they're calling people putting together people in bands that have worked on something before, you know, it's like, but um, yeah, Ripper, Ripper's a very good friend of mine. And I've known him for over 20 years, and I always wanted to do, you know, a record with him that was just me and, you know, and him working with me as the guitar player and he as the singer. I did um, a song for one of his, for his solo record, and I played on his tour, his last, the tour that he did opening up for uh, Ronnie Dio's last tour ever with um, Heaven and Hell, and, and it was, you know, it was just great. I, I love getting on stage. He's a brilliant singer, and when the opportunity hit me from Frontiers and they mentioned Roy Z, who is, is a great metal mind, and I never had a chance to work with him, but all the records that he did that I was familiar with were with people from my favorite metal bands, you know, from Priest and Maiden and the records he did with Halford and Dickinson to me were, were some of my favorite albums that those guys had done compared, you know, comparing them with the ones they did with the band they were in. So I was like, this is, this is going to be a cool opportunity. So I took that and, and started writing and, and now the record's going to be out in the next 11 days. And it's pretty exciting. It is. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at your rhythm section. I mean, Steve and Mark, I think are two are probably the most, underrated players at what they do. I mean, just amazing. And like you said, you work with Ripper. I mean, Ripper is in every single band in the world except an international submarine band. That's the only band he doesn't play in. So <laughs> you've got the chance to, like, you know, go all out with him. So that's pretty cool in a way. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing with that is the, the reason why Ripper sings in that many bands is because his voice is that good. You know, if, if, if Ripper's voice was only as, you know, one-dimensional as being able to sing in – not that those singers in the bands that you were playing in were one-dimensional, but there was so many different ranges and things that would happen in a priest song. And, and the same thing 
with the Ice Earth and even the Malmsteen songs and you know the things that he's done and, and the Ronnie Dio stuff. I watched him do a um a Dio Disciples show and he went through every version of Ronnie's career. He was the only singer at that and he was able to sing every song pretty much effortlessly, you know, and I toured with him with Sabotage for six weeks watching him do an hour and 45 minutes of of his stuff and Halford's stuff every night, you know, six days a week at least. And he's just, you know, he's an amazing singer. And that's the reason why everybody uses him because it's, there's there's not a lot of people that have that kind of versatility to be able to, to do that much different singing. And, and especially as they get older, a lot of people lose their their ranges and, and their abilities to do a lot of what they did when they were younger. True. Do you think there's a lack of quality today in musicianship? I mean, it could be from, you know, bass to drums to guitar or singing, where people just don't have the ability to do what they used to do at one time. Not because of getting old, because they just don't have the talent or the ability. I think there's a lot of talent out there. I listen to some of these younger bands, and there's, you know, guitar players that their influences were bands like Avenged Sevenfold. So you're seeing younger kids that are coming out that were picking up and, and learning how to play guitar off of people that had a lot of activity in the music. And you can hear maybe the influences of like a rush or a dream theater inside of that mixed in the, the event sevenfold. So I, I think there's a, a kind of a little bit of a revolution going on with some of these younger bands. I don't think there's a lack of talent nowadays from what I've been hearing. I've kind of been hearing it starting to increase. What there is is there's a lack of labels so we don't yeah. have to hear these bands. I mean, in the early 70s, people would turn around and get a $2 million deal, and they would you know, sit there for a year working with producer and giving these guys tons of money to work and develop them and their music. And you know, there were people that were paid by the record companies to go out and find these musicians. Nowadays, there's, there's no sales. I forget what uh, exactly what project or band it was the other day, but um, – my partner in, in my hot sauce company, Steve Seabury, he works for uh, for E1, and he was telling me about uh, somebody who, I believe it was a rap artist that released a record that was number one, and the record had sold 850 copies, and it was the number one record that week in the country in sales, and that was that's all the actual street records that were sold everything else was downloads so i mean you, you just don't have the people in these buildings anymore that are actual parts of these record companies the whole entire industry's changed so i think that's where you know people are actually seeing less of what might be the the new young talent just because there's not really an easy way for them to get out there there used to be tour support there used to be all these kind of things that young bands could get to be able to get them on the road. I mean, even when I started touring with, with Sabotage, I mean, I was 18, 19 years old, but I mean, a lot of these other bands that were that were coming out at the time, whether it was Warrant or Skid Row or, or, or even people that were the members of Rat and Motley Crue, we were all 18 to 25 years old. None of us were, yeah. were very old. That's why when you turn around now and you see, you know, a band like those... Greta brothers coming out there everybody's like so amazed that oh my god look at the talent amongst these young kids it's like well they're just the same age as all of us when we were putting out you know when Guns N' Roses was putting out Appetite I mean that's that's what the age of a younger fan was where there just has been such a huge period of time where there hasn't been a lot of young bands that have had that kind of longevity and everybody's you know bouncing back on the road and and 
all the bands that played back then are still playing. And that's because of the fact that, you know, that they had those lifelong careers and, and, I think, like I said, I just think there, yes, there is a lot of musicianship out there that, that I just don't think we get a chance to see it. Yeah. Well, like, you know, it's like you said, you talk about being young and getting into the business and that's how it happened for everybody. But when you go back to the late seventies, early eighties, when metal just first started taking hold and, and coming out, there really, there was a support system in place. Like it says, there were A&R people that were, you know, they were like the, it was like being in the farm team on a sports league. You know, they, they nurtured the bands. You had bands like Ozzy who took out Motley Crue and Metallica when they were first starting the break, and that took them to the next level. That doesn't exist anymore either, and that must make it really difficult, you know, for any young band going to the next level. You know, when ACDC is gone, when, when all these other guys are gone, when you're not doing it anymore, it's, it's going to be difficult to have that next level. Yeah, no, exactly. And and even in the fact of, like you said, when when – those record companies were like that and bands like ACDC were playing or a band like the Scorpions were playing. You had, you know, the bands like Rat and Doc and that were able to go out there and get on those tours and play. I mean, before they got to the point where they could do that themselves. So it's like, it's just, there's a whole, it seems to me like a, um, a missing edge there because now the bands like the Scorpions are touring with all the other bands they used to tour with. And you don't see the, Hey, this is the young band. You've never been, you've never heard of before being put on these tours. So it's like you got these massive generation gaps and you have this extremely large lack of places for these kids to play. I mean, they'll get in vans and they'll go do clubs. And, you know, a lot of these people are, are selling, you know, 500, 2000 seats and in these smaller places, but they're just not getting the opportunity to get out into the larger ones because there's a big level in finance that changes between playing, certain places to others and the United States uh, had this question a lot about, you know, what, what places are easier to tour in this world. And the United States is very expensive to tour and play because of how big it is. You need a lot of gas money and you need hotels and, you know, you gotta go, you've got to go from A to B overnight. You can't sit there in your tour bus and drive two hours and be at the next venue like you can in Europe. And a lot of the venues that we play in, in Europe have showers in the venue and you get there early and they have shore plugging for the buses and that's where the band lives and tours from. So, you know, it's a lot easier to make ends meet there for the younger bands than it is in the States. The younger bands here have a lot of, a lot of um, challenges going from the, uh, the opening level to the level of where a band that gets big enough to be able to pay for everything. True. I mean, Chris, when you think back and when you were first getting started with this and, you know, you were a teenager, I mean, I, I can only imagine you probably never thought you'd wind up where you'd wound up today. I mean, but back then you did have the opportunity to make it. Would you say like meeting Alan Fryer and hooking up with Heaven at that point was a turning point for you? Because that kind of led to Paul O'Neill, which led to Sabotage and TSO. Would you say that's like, you know, where you felt like you finally got your break? No, yeah, absolutely. Hooking up with Paul was where all my breaks came from i'm not saying my career wouldn't have happened in a different way or i might have ran into a different band at that time because actually when i was playing in heaven back then i had gotten the call from from rob afuso and they were still putting together skid row at that time and they it was actually a time when there was a guy in canada that was trying to hook me up to working with sebastian before he got in skid so it's like you never know exactly where you're route yeah. in your life would have went but um meeting alan and the people with paul was the manager of heaven and, and the people he was working with with the whole 
Lieber Krebs Corporation. I mean, that was really the first management company that I had. My first paycheck came in at the age of 17 from David Krebs, and, and it was just um, it was a great start. I mean, luckily for me, there was a very determined and special person in Paul O'Neill. I mean, nobody really – I mean, a lot of people do if you had a chance to work with him, but I don't think people realize just how – and he was for everything that happened around it because he kind of stayed behind the scenes with everything. You know, he would be there and, and make things happen, but he was very humble. There was bands that he helped break that you don't even know about. I mean, that guy did so much in the business, but he was just, you know, very happy to keep working and to keep people working. I mean, that was a lot of Paul's drive, too, with TSO was, you know, he was so happy to be able to see all these musicians and singers that, that had somewhere to go. And I luckily found that place to go when I was very young and, and stayed a part of it, and I'm still a part of it. And that's, you know, where I think my, my career has been very fortunate. Yeah, it also helps that when you did meet him, you hooked up with a class act, a guy who was, you know, looking out for his artists and the people he worked with. There are a lot of really rotten people in this business, and you never know which way it can go. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And Paul, he, he never allowed us to go out there and – on a different level you know he always wanted us to be taken care of we always wanted us to be in in buses and nice hotels and you know he would he would in, take a lot of money and put it into just making sure we got where we were going and, and you know we would make the money to pay him back but to find that person that had the belief in you to say no you're not going to do it that way you'll, you guys will be fine you'll sewing up records and t-shirts to make this work and the fans will see you and you'll get the bonuses at the show and this and that and he would put up the money to get us out there and then we turn around with sabotage and get back into Europe and we'd sell out every show and and there'd be you know money to pay for everything and it was just you know having that belief in what it is we could do a lot of times is what made that happen I mean and in the same way it's how he he set up TSO it's like he he got that band into theaters and he had a giant show from the very first show it was just like well this is we're not going to play this any other way and now you know we go out there with TSO and between the two tours there's 40 tractor trailers of lights and sound and pyro and lasers and all these other things out there it's never allowed that band to go out on a different level you know and that's that's a rock concert as much as people want to you know try to categorize where tso is you can see that show i mean that show starts off with the you know with the rock opera side with the story and everything but that thing ends up as a very 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 pretty intense rock and roll show it's 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 got some amazing production and some great musicians and you know paul just had a vision with that and something another thing that i've been very lucky is you know apart from being a part working with Paul is to be a part of that for all these years. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen it dozens of times. It's an amazing production. What I love is that one year my parents were like, I would like to go see that, you know, and they're in the 70s, the late 70s now, and I took them in. They were having such a good time. I was like, these were the same people you yelled at me about 25 years ago to lower the radio when I was in my bedroom as a kid, and you're sitting there loving it right now. It's just amazing how it transcended all generations. Yeah, I know what exactly, but when you say that, you're, you know, your parents that are older now, I mean, they were, they were listening to rock and roll music when it started, you know, they were listening hard rock and rock even started before I was born, you know, when I went to see my first concert of Kiss of Judas Priest, I was 11, you know, so there was a lot of years of rock and roll before that, so those parents, they weren't, they weren't held away from rock music in that, it was just something that may not have been part of their life 
now at this moment when they got into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. But TSO just brings a lot of energy back to people that maybe disconnected themselves with that part of their life, which is something like a really cool live rock and roll concert. But it does. It it it, it breaks the, the barriers of the ages, and people from 8 to 80 go to those shows, and they all find something that they like about it. Yeah, it's truly incredible. You know, Chris, I know today it's all about Spirits of Fire. I mean, I would love to be able to see some shows here and there. I know with everybody's schedule, that's probably an impossibility, but you think it's something you might be able to work on or even keep this going with just more projects or studio records over the years? Well, I know we're, we're I'm already writing. We're, we're going to be doing a second album. You know, that's going to be just like the first one as far as getting everybody to have the time to get that done. As far as the shows go, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, the record's coming out, and you know, Ripper's got a lot of things going on this summer. I know he's got another Dio hologram tour happening, and it's just you have to work, bounce around the uh, the schedule of everybody's lives and bands with something like this. I mean, and that's that's the part that's, you know, it's not necessarily unfortunate. It's just hard to get it to go. I mean, I was even talking about looking for some festivals this summer and, and regardless of the fact that the Ripper wasn't available to do a lot of the things time-wise, most of the festivals for 2019 are booked up and people wanted to already talk to me about next summer. So it's, you know, there's a lot of possibilities of times we could play. We just got to get it all lined up. I'd like to, I think it'd be a fun band to see on a festival stage. I mean, because everybody has a pretty good tenure and, and an interesting roster of music that we could pick between. And, and the, the record is a pretty cool bunch of music to play live. I mean, there's some really cool songs that would work in front of a festival crowd, I think. And, and um, you just have to see what happens in time. Yeah. Did you write all this stuff on your own for this record or was there any collaboration between the other guys? Because when you listen to it, I mean, it doesn't sound anything like, you know, your solo work. You know, I mean, your guitar playing is your guitar playing, but it seems like you went off on a little different tangent with this one, you know, compared to what you do on your own. Um, I, the song, the record has, what is there, 11 songs on this record? I can't remember. I think there's 11 songs on the album, and um, I had written eight of those and Roy had written three of those with the music and out of those I I had four that were my lyrics and melodies and then Ripper had written all the rest of the lyrics and melodies on that so I mean I had writing on it I didn't want it to sound exactly like things that I did before I wanted it to have its own identity I mean and the main thing we'd spoken about with this was trying to have it you know be able to get to the audiences of the bands that we we're playing it and not necessarily sound just like them, but making you know, a look a cool little conglomeration of it, you know, and that's kind of what we did. I mean, there's stuff that, that sounds a little bit like sabotage or a little bit like priest, but we weren't trying to imitate that. It was just, you know, parts of everybody's past and, and the music we've done that we were just trying to put together something that was kind of cool. And that's what I did with Lee is I just wrote a lot of different riffs and things that I thought would would flow well and would have a good energy to it when people were listening to the band that were, were, were fans of it and then hoping to, to grab more outside of that just by there being metal fans that listened to it and said, hey, that's a cool record. True. And like you were saying, Ripper is such an amazing vocalist. I mean, I think he's one of the best out there today. Does that make it easier for you to write because you know you can kind of do anything you want to do and he can handle it or come up with what he has to where you're not limited, where some other vocalists can't handle what you're writing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... 
was not never worried for one second that there was going to be something in there that he wasn't going to be able to either come up with the part to to replace minor or to to sing what I because I was singing some stuff for demos and and or he was just going to come up with something that was going to be spectacular in, in the aspect of his range. I mean, it was fun. I just wrote it. I never for one second said, oh, I got to wait, I got to tune this down a half step or a whole step because he's not going to be able to, to sing to it. I just sent him versions of the song and he sang. So that was it. Uh, it's an amazing record, Chris. I'm not going to keep it. I know you probably got a hundred of these things to do today, and you're going to have to answer the same questions all over again in about ten minutes. So I'll give you a little break. Oh, that's all right. And, that's okay. And, you know, I, my 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 brain doesn't remember everything I say nowadays, so it'll probably be a different <laughs> answer. No. That's good to know. But you know, I'm hoping to catch out on the road. Yeah, I know I'll see you at the holiday time with TSO again. But uh, hope you get out there, do something locally. It'd be great to see you live again. Awesome, and I'm, I hope you enjoy this record, and uh, everybody that listens to your show gets a chance to uh, check it out and, and the rest of the music when it comes out next week. They will, Chris. Thank you. Have a great day, buddy. Stay warm. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Mama's Boys, Reach for the Top. I don't remember the last time I played them on the show or even played any of their albums. I forgot how good some of the earlier stuff really was. I'm going to have to go back through the catalog and uh, check out a little bit more. Before that, Silver Mountain with Vikings. I thought I had the, the last Chris Caffrey record up uh, on the site, but I didn't. So we'll play something off that for you next week. But I want to thank both of our guests tonight, Chris Caffrey, Tony Harnell, we got a great show next week to kick off the month of March. Kane Roberts, he's back in action. Alice Cooper's old guitar player. He has a new record out. We'll talk to Kane Roberts next week. Uh, we have a couple of guests lined up for March already. We'll probably take one weekend off to chill out and get away from all these problems. Once again, I find myself apologizing for the crappy service that Block Talk Radio offers. I'm going to have to go back and edit the first half of the show after it's off the air and cut out all the dead air that was on there from nothing working. All right, we're going to play the last two songs of the night, and we're going to wrap it up. First, we're going to do a little Blade Runner. I used to like these guys. They were out of, uh, I think they were out of London, England back in the day, in the early 80s, maybe 82, 83. Uh, they had the Hunted record out in 84, and then the Warriors of Rock record out right after that. And they kind of fell apart, you know, but they were a pretty good act, a solid band. You know, but like a lot of bands back then, I guess they thought they were going to be bigger than they were, and shit happens, and it kind of ends. And we're going to end the night with a little Sarah Ungul after that. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Once again, I'm sorry that we had uh, some technical problems in the beginning of the show, but hopefully all the interviews went through. That's all that matters. All right, everyone. Have a good time. Have a good week. I'll see you next Sunday night. Here's Eye of the Beholder by Blade Runner.
Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.